Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I am Jasmine Hernandez, your host. Thank you guys for continuously watching and listening to the show on TikTok and on any streaming platform that you guys are on. I am doing things a little differently today. Um, I am recording at 8 o'clock in the morning to ensure that an episode gets out. It has been a hectic week for us. Um, My children have started football again, so I am on the field Monday through Friday for two hours every day, and usually during the time that I'm writing my script or doing stuff like that. So things were just a little hectic this week, and stuff got passed by. But I do have episodes lined up for the next six weeks, and they're going to be a little crazy. You do have previews on TikTok of these episodes, but I'm going to get into all of the twists and turns as we dive into the actual podcast and have that 30-40 minute segment be able to go through all the information that you can't get to during TikTok. And then we do have some exciting TikToks coming out this week. So if you follow us, make sure you're watching out for that. And if you are not following us on TikTok, go download the app and find us, Murder by Nature, and follow us. We release episodes every single day. There may be one day that you're not going to get one, but for the most part, they're out every day between 2 and 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. But we're going to jump into the case of Tristan Jensen. This case rocked Southern California back in 1998 and is a case that still sticks with police to this day. So our references are going to be the Daily News, Cali's True Crime, Redlands Daily Fact, CrazyKillerWordPress.com, Redlands Daily Fact from 2018, Daily Bulletin, and then again, the Redlands Daily Facts for the Murder Revisited. In September of 1998, a sewer on Hibiscus Drive and Gardena Avenue had been blocked by small skeleton remains. Many of the workers and police investigators thought that this was some kind of joke or prank, but they soon discovered that it was anything but a joke. The remains were identified as human and they were the bones of someone around the age of 13 to 17 years old. A jawbone was found on a sewer's ledge, and some teeth was still intact into the jaw. The Redlands Police Department didn't know what to do, as they found the whole skeleton throughout the drains. As police didn't know where to start, this was something weird for them, they decided to check the missing persons reports, and this is when they stumbled upon the report of a 14-year-old boy named Tristan Jensen, who was reported missing seven weeks earlier. Tristan was 13 years old from Redlands, California. He had a rough life growing up, and his mom died of cancer when he was just four years old, and his dad was in and out of county jail in Chino. Tristan would eventually move in with his grandmother, Betty Simmon, and Tristan's grandmother would raise him until the age of 13. At 13 and a half years old, Tristan moved in with his aunt Shelly and his two cousins, Matthew and Brandon. They lived next door their whole life, and the family blended great. The cousins were raised as brothers, and the family was whole. This is where Tristan needed something stable. His dad was in and out of jail his entire life, and without his mom, he was left alone. So his aunt really took him under her wing and raised him. And it was something that I think still haunts them to this day. 
Family and friends describe Tristan as very popular and friendly, someone who had the ability to be friends with just anyone and didn't stand for bullying. Everyone wanted to be around him because of the energy that he gave off. He was known as the popular kid amongst the children and staff at Redlands High School. In 1998 of August, Tristan went missing. He was 14 years old at the time, and his family said that he was always reliable. They had no idea where Tristan could have gone, and they contacted the police the following day. And I know there's a lot of things on forms about, oh my goodness, they waited until the next day to contact the police. But I feel like in the 90s, it was a little different. You never knew, like, oh... Maybe he stayed at a friend's house or maybe he was just really mad. This wasn't a huge thing with people just getting murdered. It wasn't someone's going to take your kid. You were able to trust the family down the street. You were friends with your neighbors. It was a different time in the 90s. The family told the police that Tristan had gone out to ride his skateboard and they didn't hear from him and he didn't come home. They said he they didn't initially panic as Tristan was responsible and always rode around town. But in spite of an intensive search, six weeks would pass before the family would hear anything about the missing teenager. Police went to go speak to Tristan's grandmother and his aunt. And when his aunt saw the police at the door, she told them that she heard about the discovery of the remains on the radio and she had a gut feeling that it was Tristan. She tells police that Tristan disappeared after leaving the house to go skateboarding. Him and his grandma got into a brief argument over doing some chores, and he was a little mad, so he left. Police asked the family if they can collect any possible pieces of DNA evidence, hair, body fluids, anything from Tristan that would help them identify the body. This is when Tristan's grandmother produced the last baby tooth that he lost at the age of 12, and it was rushed to the forensic laboratory for comparisons with the skeleton remains. Sadly, it was a match. The cause of death was ruled undetermined due to the decomposition of the body. Police believe that the sewer gases had skeletized the bones so quickly that they couldn't determine how Tristan died, and this left the police in utter disbelief. The police department felt like something wasn't right with this case, though, and that Tristan wouldn't have just got into the sewer by himself like that. They felt like there was more to the story and decided that they were going to treat this case as a homicide. The Redlands Police Department decided to canvas the area to search for any clues or witnesses that may have seen something, and this is when they ran into 15-year-old J.P. Remsen. J.P. told police that he had seen a dark-colored van in the area and some Hispanic men putting something into the manhole. Police felt like his story didn't make much sense, though. The area where Tristan was found is a busy area with homes all around it. When police asked J.P. if he knew Tristan... He told them that he didn't know him, but he just saw someone put something in the manhole. JP was 15 years old and a student at Redlands High School. Police knew JP, and he was a troubled teenager. With police not sure of JP's story, they continued to question the neighbors in the area, but no one else saw this van or the man dumping anything into the manhole. Neighbors did, however, tell police that JP would often play in the manhole and set off fireworks that his backyard faced that same manhole that Tristan's jawbone was found in. Police decided after numerous reports from neighbors that they needed to speak with JP again. Detectives went to JP's home to talk to him. And when they did, they knocked on the door and JP's dad answers. Police noticed that there was a box 
filled with knives sitting right next to the door. And this was odd to them. It was like a huge box with hunting knives, so many fishing knives, so many different knives from what I read. It just seemed very odd, not just a box of like pocket knives. JP's father told police that he was at school, but he would be back around 3 p.m. that evening. The police returned. They went back and they noticed that the box was now gone and they questioned the teenager. When they left the home, they did decide that they were going to question the neighbors about the Remsen family. Something didn't feel right and they needed to get to the bottom of it. This is when they discovered that Mr. Remsen was known for building fireworks in the garage, even though it was illegal in Redlands. Police knew that something wasn't right with JP's story. They can tell and pinpoint just, but they decided that they were going to take a trip to the high school. Once they spoke to teacher and staff, it was discovered that JP actually did know Tristan, and they did not like each other. Police were told that the two had a dispute at school just a few weeks before Tristan was killed. The police decided that it was time to obtain a warrant to search the Remsen home, and JP was becoming their primary person of interest. When police were searching inside the home, they found several bloodstains throughout the house. However, the search came to an abrupt end when investigators found explosive devices in the kitchen and the garage. Police immediately had to notify bomb squad to come out twice, twice to dig a hole so they can deactivate these devices until they were able to continue with their investigation. The Redlands Police Department found over 1,000 pounds of explosive devices. JP's parents, John and Susan, were immediately taken into custody and charged with explosives, child endangerment, and automatic weapon charges. Once the devices were all found and taken out of the house, the police were finally able to get back and do a proper search of the home. And what they found shocked them. Inside the Remsen home, the police found a trail of blood leading from the stairs to the garage. There were several blood stains in the garage, and the police didn't even need to use any chemicals or light for them to come up. It just was there. The evidence suggested that a beating or a stabbing had been done and that no one tried to clean up any of the evidence. The police pulled JP out of school and down to the station for a proper interview. The police asked JP if he ever had Tristan over at his house. He said no, that he never was at his house. For hours, the police interrogated JP until he eventually told the police that he didn't like Tristan, but would never want him dead. A few hours passed again, and JP admitted that Tristan was at his house, and there was an accident. JP said that Tristan had accidentally died in his basement. He told police that he had a knife collection and Tristan was interested in purchasing a honey knife from him. So he came to look at the knife that day. Tristan had the knife in his hand when he fell down the stair landings on the knife and this is what killed him. Police said that they still didn't think that they were getting the right story and his story continuously changed several times until JP finally admitted he stabbed Tristan to death during a heated argument. JP told police that he stabbed Tristan twice in the chest and then dragged him into the garage until he can drag his body outside, over a wall, and into some bushes. He said about an hour after the murder, he then dragged his body to the manhole and put him in during broad daylight. The police asked JP to reenact the events for him, and the police took JP back to his house where he would explain how he stabbed Tristan in the dominant in his stomach. Sorry, I can't say that word. 
after Tristan called him a name during an argument. Then he pulled the knife out and stabbed Tristan again. This time, the blade went through Tristan's stomach and out his back. JP then carried Tristan's body into his yard and hid it in some bushes. Around 11.30 a.m., he threw Tristan's body down into the sewer. Police believe that JP attempted to cut up Tristan before disposing of the body in the sewer, but he wasn't successful. During the entire reenactment, police remember the chilling sense of JP's presence. They stated that he was emotionless and lacked any empathy for what he did to Tristan. During the investigation, police found Tristan's shoes and burnt clothes near the home and a hacksaw in the garage with blood on it. They sent this off for testing, but it did come back to show that it was animal blood on the on the, the hacksaw. I want to kind of state here that JP was known for killing animals um, around the neighborhood. He would get them and attack them and chop them up. He he was a twisted individual, but I think with the parental structure he had at home, he didn't really have anyone to tell him that this was wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. The police started to investigate the parents. JP's dad took a polygraph test, but his mother refused. After the investigation, it was found that there was no evidence that they helped JP or had any knowledge that Tristan was dead. JP had tried to explain to his mom why there might be blood in the house, and he called her right after he killed Tristan and came up with a lie immediately. He told her the dogs got into an argument and one of them had blood, and his mom just believed him. JP was charged with first-degree murder and was tried as an adult. During the trial, it was discovered that JP and Tristan had a very, very volatile relationship. Tristan had reported that JP brought alcohol to school, And Tristan had been dating a girl that JP liked, and JP was very jealous. It was the relationship of the rivals. JP was known for being a bully at Redlands High School, and he he was a troubled kid. He would bring alcohol to school, and one time he was showing it off, and Tristan saw it and went directly to the staff and told them, hey, this guy has alcohol, and then JP got in trouble. The police got involved, his parents got involved, it was a whole thing. But it seemed like Anything Tristan did, JP was jealous of. He watched JP, JP watched Tristan and anything that he was doing or the praise that he was getting or the good grades he was getting, he was pissed off about. So when he, he told police that he didn't know him and they find out all of this, this is what made him that primary suspect. They always say that when you get involved in a case nine out of 10 times, you are the one that committed that crime. And that's exactly what JP did. If he would have just sat at home, not not have gotten involved in the investigation, they would have never been pointed to JP. They would have never known. He would have never been on their radar. But they were canvassing the area, and he came out and started this whole story about the Hispanics in the dark-colored van and then putting something into the manhole. And this is something that they say serial killers do. They want to be involved in the investigation. So always watch out for that. On April 26, 2000, JP was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. JP's parents had pled guilty to two weapons charges, and his father, John, was sentenced to two years in prison. His mother, Susan, was given three years of probation. I also want to say that in 2016, August 21st, John 
ended up passing away and him and Susan were still together. I read the obituary and it does say stuff about JP and him being their son and all of this stuff. Um, so they kind of stuck by their son. I'm guessing that they continued to visit him and talk to him. Um, there's not much information you can find about JP now besides a few things from like 2006 and 2015. But I wasn't able to find anything recently in 2020 to 2022 now. On May 1st, 2018, JP was scheduled for his first parole hearing. Sally Bell, Tristan's aunt, the one that took care of him, said her family was letting the prosecutor speak on their behalf at the Ramsey parole hearing, since she's still afraid to be in the same room as JP. She said, this young man is a serial killer. He only had one victim before he got caught, and that first victim, unfortunately, was her nephew. Bell said, echoing an assessment made by other law enforcements, that he's extremely dangerous and I would be terrified for children at large if he got out. According to Bell, whose sons were the same age as Jensen and close enough for the family to be considered the three musketeers, the loss of Jensen and the constant reminders of all the milestones growing up that he missed as he left a hole in the lives of the people who knew him. Bell recalled Tristan as a happy, generous kid and a buddy musician. She said that her now adult sons still run into people who recognize them as the Jensen family, and they tell him how much that his death impacted them. This is a great black hole left in the universe that was once accompanied by a great promise. People need to just hug their kids a little closer and make sure that the laws are such that people like this can't get out and do it again. It would be injustice if he did get out. JP's parole was denied. And he got into some trouble while he was in prison. So all of this kind of like put into his parole hearing too. In 2006, JP and another inmate assaulted a third victim. He pled guilty to attempted murder and was given a 10-year sentence for that. In 2015, he pled guilty to possessions of a controlled suspense. Oh, I can't talk today. After they found two syringes in his legal mail. He was sentenced to four years for that. He is currently in Kern Valley State Prison, where he is serving his time, and it doesn't look like he's going to get out anytime soon. San Bernardino County District Attorney Mike Romo said that he would ensure he is not released on parole anytime soon. It is a big concern of mine, and that unless some of there's, he's basically saying that unless there's some intense rehabilitation, that JP would kill again. If you look at all the serial killer models put out by the FBI and other investigation agencies, serial killers start out with lower level crimes. They move on from animals and there is evidence that JP was doing this to animals. He said that it was more so cats and then they build their way up to killing a human, which then he killed Tristan. Ramos said he believes that JP may be a serial killer who only had to have one victim before the Redlands Police Department found him. The Redlands Police officer, Dan Elton, he investigated this case, and he says that this case stays with him till today, and it gave him, it gave him a better understanding of the effects that bullies can have at school. He said JP was a bully at school, and this tragedy is a reminder that bullies, they're a serious issue, and they must be stopped. 
as we go into my thoughts, this one was a little like, oh, because I live right next to Redlands, California, and I drive by this area. And after researching the case and hearing everything, I was just like, wow. I did a, 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 did a series like a week of Redlands cases. Um, I'm going to be doing Ukaipa cases in the surrounding areas. And I didn't realize all of these things have happened. Redlands and Ukaipa seem like such a quiet area that we don't really get murders. And when people do die out here, it's more so car crashes, stuff like that. Um, I feel like even though we're a city, we, we always feel like a small town to investigate things and find this, find murders, multiple murders, not just Tristan's. There is Kelly Bullwinkle. There's so many other murders that have happened. Marjorie Wynn, different things. And to read about those and know that they happened in a place that at Tristan's age, I was just walking around, going to Redlands, going to Market Night, get dropped off at the Kokorian and be able to sit there and wait for the premiere of Harry Potter. I did those things. So it just blows my mind that some small towns do have these dark, twisted stories that you never hear about. And these stories, these murders, these investigations need to be brought to life. They need to be out there and they shouldn't be missed. Um, Oftentimes, murders like this, children murders, people don't feel comfortable talking about. But I feel like Tristan Jensen's story deserves to be told and people deserve to have those lights on. Because this child, well, an adult now, will be up for parole again soon. And when he is, there is the possibility that he will be released. As far as what I know, Tristan's mother, not Tristan's mother, I'm so sorry. JP's mother, Susan, still lives in Redlands, California. So that makes me a little worried that he will be released to his mother in the coming days. And that brings us to the end of this episode. As always... Thanks for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on. And be sure to come back next Saturday for our new episode. Again, if you go to our link in the bio, you can request any cases for us to cover. If there is a case in your small town or even a case that you're super interested in learning more about, send me an email, put it in my comments, send me in a case request form, And we'll make sure to get to those. Again, I love bringing the cases to life that not many people have heard about. We have done just one big case, which was the Chris Watts case. And I will be doing one from Hawaii really soon. Um, It's an active investigation. And I will put a trigger warning in the beginning. It is going to be about a domestic violence case. But it's something that is really close to my heart that I think we need to get the word out on. Until then... I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. Goodbye.